Well, good morning again. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 4 as we continue a teaching series through the book of Hebrews. Uh, This morning we're going to be tackling a passage of scripture that is going to have serious application for each one of us. And so as we walk through this and work hard through this, I pray that God would begin to just uniquely work in each one of our hearts to really investigate what it has to say for you in your own specific circumstance. Now, what I want to do for just a moment is overview just a little bit. Uh, As you remember, as we started this teaching series, and maybe you haven't been here a while, or maybe it's your first or second time here, we're dealing with a book of Hebrews, and it was a book written to people who are experiencing extreme persecution because they've come to Christ. They were formerly Jewish. They asked Jesus to come into their lives, and His church began to start. And because of this persecution, they're dealing with a socioeconomic persecution. They're dealing with a physical persecution. They're dealing with uh, spiritual persecution. Their, their families have ostracized them. And so as they wrestle through all of this, the author of this book writes them one glaring encouragement is simply this. Jesus is better. And he's better than anything that they put their hope in. As a Jewish person, they put their hope in sometimes angels or Moses or their family or Joshua even in the Old Testament. And for many of us, when we start to deal with difficult situations, we put our hope in different people or different routines or different rituals. Y'all ever been there before, right? We've all circumstantially had these issues. And in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we've dealt with this over the last few weeks, he's encouraged them to do a couple things. Number one, don't harden your heart. And many times, because of apathy, because of circumstance, because of life, we harden our hearts to what God says. Y'all been there before, right? Maybe you are currently there. And then last week, we dealt with this, of in the midst of just life, God calls us to rest, and the rest comes in knowing Jesus that one day we'll go to heaven, and two, as we live here on earth, trusting Jesus. And many times we don't find that rest on earth because you and I are distracted by a plethora of different things. Y'all been there, right? Or maybe you're currently there. Well, this morning we're transitioning quite a bit to kind of put an exclamation point on this specific section that we're dealing with because as we deal with Christ and we try to make his application and we try to understand who he is in our own lives personally, many times the, 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 the pursuit of finding rest specifically is hard to capture at times. Y'all been there, right? Maybe you're there. And so there's a couple of phases that we've dealt with so far. First of all, the end goal for every person and specifically every Christian is to find rest and go into heaven. Would y'all agree on that? No, no, if you don't agree on that, we've got to talk deeper, all right? But let's just, let's just all agree for a moment, come in close, all of us want to go to heaven one day, right? Yes or no? All right, let's say it again. All of us want to go to heaven one day, yes or no? Good, all right, you're there. And in order to do that, biblically speaking, you have to trust Jesus. And in trusting Jesus, you have to hear Jesus. And then we have to be careful that as we go through life, after we trust Jesus, after we hear Jesus, after we feel like we're going towards heaven, is that many of us lose our spiritual passion. You've been there before? And so as we progress on this journey, the reality is we have to be really careful not to fall into disbelief. Now, verse 11, we dealt with this last week, and I want to kind of put it up on the screen again, and I want you to notice what it says here. Because get this, verse 11, Hebrews chapter 4, it reads this. There, let us therefore make every effort to enter the rest. Now you get that there. Now I really want you to hone in on this little phrase. Make every what? Effort. It means to strive, to long for, to be diligent toward. 
And then it goes on, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, if you weren't here last week, or maybe it's your first time here, that word there, T-H-E-I-R, is, is, is focuses on the Israelite people who, because of disobedience, wandered through the wilderness for 40 years and never made it to the promised land. Their children did, but they never made it. And for many of us, because of our disobedience, we never find rest. Y'all with me on that? But I really want you to focus in on one phrase. Notice what it says on the screen again. Therefore, make every what? Effort. So be diligent, like I said before, and work hard. But here's where I struggle, and I think you do too. If we're to rest, God at the same time causes us to make every effort to strive for, to be diligent in, in the midst of that, right? But how do the two work together? How do I rest and be diligent? How do I rest and strive? How do I rest and have effort? It's kind of like going to the beach and taking your smartphone there and answering emails. Many of us do that, right? It's kind of like never turning off the computer. It's kind of like never getting away, or when you do get away, you're going to take work with you. There's a diligence there that you don't get to rest while you're doing that. Now, when my son was nine months old, my wife and I decided to take a vacation. So we packed up what seemed to be a U-Haul because when you have a baby, you have to take everything with you, right? Anytime you go anywhere overnight, you pack and play, the bottles, the toys, the extra diapers, the wipes, and then just anything else that you may need. So we pack everything up into the car. We're living in southeast Louisiana. We decide to go vacation in the Ozarks. So we go to the Ozarks, this little place called Pettit Jean State Park. Beautiful place, wonderful valley, all these mountains and cliffs, and it was just incredible. We got to go into a cave where Native Americans had painted on the ceiling and see that. We see some incredible waterfalls. I love and we love to do that kind of stuff and hike around. And so as we hiked, we took care of an infant. As we rested, we took care of an infant. As we fed ourselves very well, we took care of an infant. As we did everything, we took, you get where I'm going with on this? We try to rest, but we can't. Been there? And so I kind of felt bad for my wife. She was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and she was always exhausted because I believe being a stay-at-home mom is the most difficult job in the world, and I made about 100 friends right then by saying that. Right, ladies? And so I believe it's a difficult job. And so we went to nearby Hot Springs, Arkansas. There was a huge uh, resort-slash-hotel there, and I decided to go in there and take a tour. It's well-known in that area. And we get there, and there's a place where you can get a massage. And I said, Sarah Beth, I love you, honey. We don't have the money, but I know you work hard, and this has not been the most restful vacation. Take an hour, an hour and a half away from me and, and, and the child here. I'll walk around in the, with a stroller. You go get a massage. And she's like, really? She goes, we can't afford it. I said, it doesn't matter, baby. I love you. You know, I'm trying to get all these points built in. And I said, you just go, and you go get a massage and rest. And so, you know, it's Arkansas, so they just got telephones, so they, the cell phone was not working well. And so we walk around the hotel, and we're doing things like that. So for the next hour to two hours, Kate and I just strolled around and enjoyed the sights and sounds of Hot Springs, Arkansas. So that means we sat in the lobby. And we get back to the place to where Sarah Beth was getting massaged, and she's sitting in the steps on front of, in front of the place just crying. And I'm like, man, she's either really happy or I've done something really wrong. Well, this particular place, you had to pay before you got a massage, and I had her purse the whole time. So for the hour beforehand, for that whole hour and a half, she sat there waiting on me, trying to call me, cell phone signal, walked around the hotel, never found us, and she just finally sat there and just cried. There was no rest. Sometimes when we're trying to find rest, we're distracted by the effort put involved, involved in that, right? Sometimes, spiritually speaking, God calls us to trust in him and to rest in him, but at the same time, 
that takes diligence. Go back to verse 11. It takes effort, right? So how do we marry the two together? What does that look like? Well, the answer is really simple. We have to learn to hear what he says, and we have to learn to act upon it. One can't go without the other. In fact, the premise of chapter 4 is all about not hardening your hearts when you hear what God says. And if you and I are going to pursue rest, if we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to really find ourselves in a position where God's working, we have to hear what he says, but not selective hearing, guys. It's acting upon it, right? We have to do something with it. And so what we're going to do is divide this message into two parts. What do we hear and how do we act? Does that make sense? And in doing so, we find our peace with the Lord and how we get our rest. So let's notice what happens here. Get this. Starting in verse 4, I mean chapter 4, let's go to verse 12. We're going to deal with two verses this morning, and next week we're going to really bite off a huge chunk. Notice what it says. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. Now, let's just kind of tear this apart for a moment because I really want to focus on what we hear. And what we hear specifically is the word of God. Go back to verse 12. For the word of God, understand that, it means the Bible. And in tandem with that, it means Jesus. What we hear first and foremost when we open this up, if we're going to find that rest and be diligent at the same time, is we hear that he has a plan. Now, this is important for us, and that's our first principle this morning. We hear his plan. For those who are being persecuted in that local church there, one of the greatest encouragements that they could have experienced is the author telling them, in spite of everything you're dealing with, God has a plan on this. God is working. And for you and I, as we seek to be diligent and finding rest at the same time, We need to hear as we open this up that regardless of where you are in life's journey, God has a plan. Notice what it says in verse 12. Let's throw that up on the screen again. Get this. For the word of God is alive and what? Active. That word alive simply means it's enduring. It's empowering. It's moving in our life. And that other word active means it's doing something in us. No person in the history of the world can open up Scripture without it doing something. It is going to be apathy. It's going to be skepticism. It's going to be life-changing. But when we get into the text, when we get into Scripture, when we encounter Christ, something will happen. God's Word endures forever. God's Word has a way of working in our lives. God's Word has a way of changing us. When 9-11 occurred, y'all, many of you remember that September morning, After it occurred, everybody went home, got in the attic or on the bookshelf and dusted off that old family Bible or they ran to the nearest Barnes & Noble and bought a Bible. Y'all remember that? Most people didn't know Jesus. Most people weren't churchgoers. But the reason they went to the text because there is something about Scripture that provides encouragement. There's something about Scripture that provides something that is active and life-giving and it changes us. It endures. And the reason it endures is because when we attack it, when we place it into our hearts, We apply it to our psyche, and we deal with it the way what we hear is that God has a plan. He is doing something. The Bible changes us. Jesus changes us. And regardless of the circumstance we deal with, 
many of us, and, and you're like this, right? You've gone through a difficult time. You've been through different seasons. You've looked for answers. You want to know what God wants for your life. And many of us, y'all have done this, right? Go to the Bible, we flip it open and say, Lord, just please speak, I'm desperate. And you put your finger somewhere and you read it. Y'all ever done that before? Everybody just nod your head, you've done that. Or maybe you've Googled it. Let's just take it to a 2017 level. Lord, I'm feeling blue. What does the Bible say? Boom. I don't know what it says when you Google it. But (laughs) the issue and the reality is, is that when we read it and we choose to hear it, you hear that God is doing something, that God has a plan for you. And, and what I want to encourage you on, as you seek to find some rest, as you seek to find some truth, as you hear it, hear that God is working. So the question is, do you hear it? Do you believe that? That through every millisecond of your life, God is drawing out some form of truth that it activates in your soul in such a way that it encourages you to move you forward. Do you believe that? Do you hear that? The second thing you hear is not only does he have a plan, he has a knowledge of who you and I are personally. Now, this is where it gets kind of freaky for me. Because as a child, especially as an adolescence, when I'm about to read in just a moment and knowing that God knows all things about me, just kind of just blew my mind. There are no secret compartments in our life that God doesn't look into. He sees everything. Get this next point here. Notice what it says in verse 12. Therefore, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, and it says he is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, meaning he gets to the core of who you are. He knows everything about you. And then it goes on to say it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the what? Heart. He knows all. He knows you. He knows your inclinations. He knows your issues. He knows me. He knows what I struggle with. He knows what's positive. He knows what's negative. He knows where you need comfort. He knows where you need encouragement. He knows where you're grieving. And the reality is him knowing provides a redemptive plan for you and I. What I mean by that is that when we hear from the text that he has a plan and we hear that he still has knowledge of how jacked up we are, do you hear the fact that he still loves you? You see, this is important for these people who are Hebrew Christians. They're struggling, they're dealing with things, and they're crying out to God, God, my family won't even talk to me. I'm losing my home. I'm losing my religion, literally. God, you've got to have a plan here, and you've got to know how hard I'm struggling. And he does. He knows you, and yet still loves you. He knows the secret places, and we've all got them, right? I mean, think through this, guys. Have you ever been in a position in your life, I know how I have, where I thought I can hide this even from God himself? Y'all ever been there? There are things, let's just be real, in places we've gone where we're praying, I hope Jesus didn't see that. Let me fill you in on something. He did. (laughs) And yet he still has a plan for us. That's the amazing thing about the gospel, is that he knows every detail every good thing and every bad thing. And the thing is, we can find rest and be diligent at the same time in knowing that he knows. Knowing that he knows. But there's another facet to this. When you hear his word, you hear 
plan and his knowledge of you, but I hope you also hear his warnings. Now, for many of us, and, and we preach grace at this church, meaning you've come to Christ just as you are. You've come to Christ knowing that he loves you no matter what. But that doesn't mean we have a license to do whatever we want to. And what I want you to understand is many of us are flipping about our own personal sin, our own personal commitment. We've all been there. And so what I want you to understand is when we read the text, there's also warnings for us there. And they're important for us, to, for us, and they're there for a reason. One, it tells us that we need Jesus because we never live up to it. But two, there are just some ways of living that don't have the consequences involved when we choose not to live that way. Make sense? And so I hope you hear his warnings. Notice what happens here. We go back to verse 12. Let's catch it at the very end. It says, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And then verse 19, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now let's go back and get the last part of verse 12 again. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. There are warnings that God's word lays out for us that we need to live by. It's important not to lie, right? We all agree, right? If you don't agree, you're lying. Here's the thing. It's important for us to live in certain ways, not because we lose God's favor, but because we're walking in God's blessing. And so understand this, is that we have to hear his plan, we have to hear his knowledge, and this is what it shows us, knowledge about us, and the more we know scripture, we know about our, we know, the more we know about ourselves, but we also have to hear his warnings. Now let's go back to the secret places. All of us have those places. There's a wonderful story in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament about a, guy, about, a, about a guy named Achan. Joshua had led the people of Israel into the promised land. If you remember way back, the Israelites, had, that generation with Moses had all died. And Joshua was leading the next generation to take over the promised land. And as they entered into the promised land, they were conquering people after people after people to take possession of what God had promised. And the entire time, God's blessing went before them. They encountered one army. And God said, you will go and attack this army. My blessing will upon you. You will defeat them. Just don't take any of the spoils of war, which was something very normal in that day and age. To take something you'd, from the people you had conquered was something that you just did. But he said, don't take any of the spoils of war because it's all defiled because they worship their pagan group. They worship different gods. And so they go in, they conquer the army, and then immediately thereafter, God says, somebody took some spoils of war and my blessing and my presence won't be with you if you don't deal with it. And so they went throughout the camp and they found a guy named Achan. He had taken some of the idols and some of the riches and buried up under his tent, hoping nobody would ever find out. But the whole time, God knew. Does that make sense? Listen to me. What do we have buried in our own lives that we haven't dealt with? What are you dealing with currently that you want no one to find out? Listen to me, God's warnings are there for a purpose, not to put you in bondage, not to put me in bondage, to put us, but to put us in holiness, to put us in a pathway that honors him. What do you have buried that needs to be exposed? What do you have buried that needs to be gotten rid of? Listen to me, when you hear his word, you hear his plan, you hear his knowledge of you, and yet he still loves you, and you also hear his warnings. So there's redemption woven through this, understanding that you and I fall incredibly short. But there's something else incredibly powerful about this. And what I want you to do is go to verse 13 and notice what's happening here. 
Because in the light of all of this, and you got to remember this first church, they're struggling in the midst of their struggle, they're in sin. In the midst of their sin, they're starting to fall into disbelief. In the midst of their disbelief, they're starting not to find rest. You follow the scenario, right? All that's beginning to happen for them. And they come to this conclusion, and they come to this place where they're like, I am laid bare before the Lord. Verse 13, notice what it says. Nothing in all of God's creation, and creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Meaning there's going to be a reckoning here. But I really want you to focus on one little phrase here. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. Now the phrase there in the Greek language, and that's what the New Testament is written in, means one of three things. We're really not sure. The first one, it could mean this. A guy who is about to be executed and he bows his head and a, net and a sword comes behind his neck. The other one is a wrestler who takes his opponent and grabs him by the throat and renders him completely useless and puts him in a position of submission. And the third one is a person who is marching to the gallows and what they would used to do is put a sword under their neck so they couldn't move their head down in shame but had to look at all of his accusers in complete embarrassment and shame. Regardless of which one you choose, all of them are bad and all of them are a position of vulnerability, correct? All of them. And what is what is trying to really what the author's really trying to communicate to us and to this first church is that God sees everything. He sees where we've messed up. We've not followed his warnings. We see sees where we've forgotten and not followed his plan. He sees where um, we, we have just fallen short in every way. He knows us. But at the same time, in the midst of all of that, what we need to hear from his word is that he still assures us. We're laid bare before him. But when you know Christ, there's an assurance here that he still loves you, that he still has a plan for you. Get the next verse, and we're going to dig into this next week in verse 14. Let's throw that on the screen. Therefore, get this, therefore, since we have a great high priest who is Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, meaning, Christ is in heaven when you know him, pleading on our behalf. He died for us so that we could receive that mercy. And what I want you to hear when you hear God's word is that, yes, he has a plan. Yes, he has knowledge of us. Yes, he gives warning and knows we don't follow through. But when we know Christ, when we know Christ, he gives assurance. But this begs this question here. Can I find rest in Christ? but not be diligent. Can, let, me, let, me, let me redneck it up for you. Can I know Jesus and still live the same way that I'm living currently? Can I know that he loves me and I'm going to heaven and still do what I want and still live in my sin? Hypothetically speaking, when we understand grace, the answer is yes. But biblically speaking, when we understand truth, the answer is you won't. True Christians aren't the same after they encounter Christ. They hear and then they act. Because, and here's a truth you need to scribble down. You cannot divorce Christ from Scripture. You cannot do it. You cannot separate him from what truth says. Because he is truth. And Scripture is all about Him. And so if we're living to this whole thing, look, 
I'm going to love Jesus, and this is how many of us live in our local religion. I'm going to love Jesus, I'm going to love Christ, I'm going to go to heaven one day, and I'm not going to change a thing. That is not the gospel. The gospel has come just as you are. I will forgive you. I will demonstrate grace. I will love you no matter what. I redeem you. I have a plan for you. I will hold you in my palm of my hand. And when you sin, I will still love you. And when you're doing great, I'll still love you the same way. All that. I am your God and you worship me. And you don't deserve it, but I love you. But hear me on this. There is a process in which you come to know Christ. Things change. And if things haven't changed, we better question if we're saved. Because when we hear what he says, let's go back to verse 12. Throw it up on the screen. The word of God, it is alive, it is active, and it is sharper than a double-edged sword, and it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, meaning he knows if you know him. You can be assured that we will be held accountable, but if we know Christ, The slate is washed clean. So the question is, how do I act? I hear what he's saying. He has a plan. He he knows me. I hear what he's saying. He warns me and he assures me. But what do I do now? How do I act? I'm going to give you three principles to follow, and then we're going to get out of here. The first principle is this. We act in such a way, we act in such a way, that we manage our lives for spiritual growth. We manage our lives for spiritual growth. If we know Christ, the motivation, the conviction, is to manage our lives to grow spiritually. Many of us don't do that. It's the last thing on the list. Would you all agree on that? It's the last priority. Well, what God is calling us to do is to manage our lives for spiritual growth. The second thing is simply this. Direct your relationships towards spiritual growth, meaning do life with others. Do life with others. I say this week in and week out. One of the ways that you grow spiritually is with other Christians. If you're not around other believers, if you're not doing life to find encouragement to grow in your faith with other believers, you probably won't grow in your faith. And so the encouragement is this. Get in a life group, or we have other groups that help you go deeper that that spun off from life groups. Go somewhere. Don't let this be your only spiritual connection with other people on Sunday morning for an hour. Do life with others. Find a place where you manage your life for spiritual growth and you do life with others for spiritual growth. And the third thing is simply this, and this is a big one. Approach Scripture with submission, not suspicion. So many of us, when we read Scripture, we don't like what it says. Are you all with me on that? I mean, things like, you know, don't steal. So that means I can't cheat on my taxes. Darn it. Or don't hate. That means I can't say anything negative. Those types of things, I mean, I would love to hate sometimes, wouldn't you? Just say yes. Somebody cut you off on 316 this week. You've been to Walmart. All that stuff. Say, I mean, those things. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. We approach Christ with submission to what it says. If it says to do this, do it. God is very black and white in these areas. Our problem is we want some gray area. There's not. There's not. Doesn't matter what culture says. Doesn't matter what granddad said. It matters what God says. You can't divorce Christ from Scripture. Approach it with submission, not suspicion. Uh, couple of, a little over a month ago now, we celebrated 10 years at our church. 
and uh, it was a great day. Many of you were there. We ate a lot. We celebrated what God has done. We baptized over 300 people in 10 years. We've gone from a house to a fitness room to a gymnasium and now our own facility. Uh, we've also experienced sending over 100 missionaries domestically and overseas. We've started schools. We have a Latino church behind us that's meeting currently. Our student ministry's going. Our kids meeting. Guys, God has done some crazy cool stuff in our church. Would you all agree on that? It's neat. And even right now, we've got good stuff going on. Our kids' ministry is awesome. Yes, there's always room for improvement, but comparatively speaking, we've got great kids' men. We've got great student ministry. We've got great hospitality. You guys at Volunteer are incredible. I love you. Thank you for making this happen. You express Christ when you do that. Our worship team's phenomenal, and they really want to bring the presence to the Lord and lead you in worship week in and week out. You have a subpar pastor. That's your weak spot. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. In all of that, we can't sit in a position to where this is all I'm going to do. We've arrived. This is it. Let's just fill up this building or let's just sit where we are comfortable and do nothing with our faith. It can't be that. And so I've wrestled, well, what is our next 10 years? Is it bigger buildings? Is it more parking lots? Lord, I hope not. Is it all that's, what is it? Here it is. It's for you and I to go deeper, to mature in our faith. We will always reach out to people. We will always seek to bring truth and people together by expressing Christ to our community, to the ends of the earth. That will never, ever, ever stop. However, if we're at the same maturity level as we were 10 years ago, personally, there's a problem. It's time to move forward. It's time to grow. And the way you grow is you hear and you act because Jesus is what, church? He's better willing to do that, I want to encourage you to take a next step this morning. If you're not in a life group or you want to be in one of these spinoff groups that go deeper, I want to encourage you on your Connect card to check one of those boxes. If you want to get baptized and make your faith public, check that box on your Connect card. If you need to know Jesus this morning, you've never asked Christ to come into your life, and I know there are people that haven't made that decision, there's a box on that card called the connect card that you can check and there's also a number you can check that says respond or a number you can text that says respond that we'll put up on the screen but take the next step in growing deeper in your faith take the next step to follow him take the next step to do something here and act y'all with me on that do something what you hear with let's pray together father we love you we ask god very specifically that you would change us and the lord as we move in our spiritual journey as we seek to hear what you have to say I pray we truly hear it I pray we truly act upon it God we can't divorce the two and I pray God that it would move in our lives in such a way that it would change us it move in our lives in such a way that it overwhelm us that you would give us strength and wisdom that you'd call us to a new level of just absolute authenticity with you and transparency with you and the God that you would change us Lord, I pray that in these moments that we would experience you, that you would overwhelm us, and that, Lord, that you would just fix our eyes upon you. Lord, you are good. And in the midst of every storm that we face, Lord, let us hear what you have to say and about your plan. Give us that assurance we need so that we act. You are great and worthy of all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.